0: Thank you for uh, tuning in tonight. If you're watching or maybe a little later, we certainly appreciate it. As uh, Pastor mentioned, uh, we usually take prayer requests. We usually try to share that with one another or blessings. Uh, please use the comment lines for that, and uh, that'll be the way that we can get it into each other's, uh, at least uh, the knowledge of, of one another's prayer requests and, and uh, blessings that you may be going through. I hope you're reaching out. I hope you are Uh, at least touching others in our church electronically, though we cannot get together, uh, lift each other up in prayer, and uh, we can still use the phone, and so that's a blessing. Luke chapter 3 is where we're at tonight. We have been talking about John the Baptist uh, as uh, his life, and we're just talking now about the very beginning of his ministry here. Uh, We have examined uh, last week, talked about his baptism Now there's two baptisms that John was involved with, the baptizing of the crowd and the baptizing of the Christ. There are three water baptisms in the Bible that are spoken and taught of. There was the baptism of the repenter, there was the baptism of the redeemer, and there's a baptism of the redeemed. John was only involved with the first two. Uh, We are only involved with the last one. And so we uh, differentiated that a little bit last week. I want to just touch on that again this time. Uh, Looking at the meaning of John's baptism, he was uh, baptizing to repentance. The Bible tells us in Luke 3.3, and we'll read this text in just a moment here, but uh, that it came about all the country Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. John's baptism was the acknowledgement of one's sin, now, our baptism, when we get baptized as believers, that's the acknowledgement of our salvation. John's baptism, though, involved the confession of sin. Matthew 3 6. The Bible says, and they were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, believers' baptism involves the confession of Christ. When we are actually right here in the baptismal tank, when we have people that come up and get baptized, Lord willing, we are having. Uh, three people baptized on Easter Sunday. You pray, along with me, that we can be back in church by Easter Sunday. I certainly would like to worship together on that special day. But when we get baptized as believers, we are uh, getting baptized as an outward expression of an inward experience. We're showing uh, what Christ has done in our life. And so it's a confession of Christ. Now, John's mode of baptism is like our mode of baptism. I don't think there's any doubt And what it was, it was a baptism of immersion. In other words, putting the body completely under the water, lifting it back up again. There's two reasons for this. One is the meaning of the word. Uh, The meaning of the word baptized means to dip or to plunge. And so the very meaning of the word itself uh, leads us to understand that this was immersion in the Bible. And then also the meaning of the symbolism. Uh, Baptism of repentance symbolized that a person knew they were worthy to die because of their sins. Therefore, they would be buried uh, down into the water. The act of immersing a person in water pictures death and burial. And then, of course, a baptism on our part as well. Uh, we know, according to Romans, uh, tells us very clearly that our baptism pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so... Uh, that, that, along with many other reasons that, that are clear in the Bible, we know that baptizing is by immersion. Now, here in our text tonight, I want to read, uh, starting at verse number 7, John is talking to different groups of people, actually, to be specific, four groups of people that he's going to talk to, and I want to look at that tonight in our short time together here, uh, if you'll bear with me here. Let's start at reading, reading verse number 7. Uh, John, uh, Luke chapter 3, the Bible says, Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who have warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bring forth therefore fruits of re- worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid into the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Verse number 10, and the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. He that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then also came the publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which has appointed unto you. And here's the fourth group. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. So these four distinct groups that he talks to here, we have the religious leaders, the regular people, the revenue collectors, and the Roman soldiers. These are the four different groups that uh, that, uh, John the Baptist is talking to, and he gave different messages to each one. I'd like to examine these tonight and uh, how that people's lives he's demonstrating will change if they are truly repentant. He insists on their words uh, being backed up by their works and to make sure that their repentance was genuine. So let's look at each one specifically. He talks first to the religious leaders. Now, John's message to this group is stronger than any of the other groups. Talk about boldness. Look at verse number seven. He calls them a generation of vipers. He, uh, he is not mincing words when he talks to the religious leaders. Now, Luke in our text right here simply calls them the multitude. But in Matthew chapter three, verse seven, a parallel passage tells us that this group he's talking to is the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, his message to them was fourfold. First, it spoke of their character. He said, oh, generation of vipers. Now, this is a good description of this group. In fact, John is not the only one to call them a generation of vipers. In fact, later Jesus came and he said the same thing. Uh, these were holier than thou. They were arrogant. They were self-righteous. They were hypocritical. And Jesus gave them the same character description in Matthew twenty-three thirty-three. When he said, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? I tell you, John the Baptist and Jesus were not Joel Osteen preachers. They gave the word and they were not uh, sorry to give it as they, uh, in a hard and a truthful way. John uh, gave, had strong language to be sure, but yet Jesus also backed him up in what he said. It takes courage for a preacher to label things correctly. And they were not afraid to label even these religious leaders, the ones that society looked up to more than anybody else, they were not afraid to label them as they really were. Uh, few today have the courage to buck popular attitudes and bring down on themselves the wrath and rejection of men. And John was willing to do that because John's going to be true to the text. So he speaks of their character and then also... It spoke of their command, bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance. John saw right through these religious leaders and their hypocrisy. Jesus also, in Matthew chapter 23, he used the words over and over, calling them hypocrites. He uses hypocrites and hypocrisy eight times in speaking to these people, Jesus did. They were strong on talk, but they were weak on walk. Jesus said that they do not say as they do. Uh, Matthew twenty three three. For they say and do not. They were coming to John to be baptized, but they did not have the fruits that evidence genuine repentance. So they wanted the recognition of the ritual, but they did not want the responsibility of the ritual. John saw no evidence of true uh, of the repentance in their conduct, and so he tells them so. Uh, he is not. Shy in his telling of them so. Look at what it says of their condemnation. Begin not to say within yourselves we have Abraham to our father. John condemns them in the very area that they hold to as their very identity. This was everything to them. They were children of Abraham. They believed that being a descendant of Abraham was all that was necessary to enter heaven. It was a physical relationship that they trusted, not a spiritual relationship. But God will have none of that, and John delivers that message. Listen, you may have the godliest parents on the globe that will do nothing as far as taking you to heaven when you die. It is not the relationship that your parents or your grandparents have with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a relationship that you have yourself. Your relationship with God determines your eternal destination. Your birth, your race, your country, your church cannot save you. Only faith in Jesus Christ. And John made that clear. Do not give me any of you being sons of Abraham, he said. That's not going to count for anything. And so he spoke of their character, spoke of their command, and he spoke of their condemnation, and finally he spoke of their circumstances. Their circumstances were not good. Look at verse 10. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do? Uh, Actually, verse 9, and now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree therefore, which bringeth not forth fruit, is hewn down and cast into the fire. Uh, No one there would have trouble understanding that visual that John gives there. When a tree did not bear fruit, it was cut down so that another tree could be planted that would bear fruit. The way that John says it here is the axe is already laid at the foot of the tree. It's ready to be chopped down. It's ready to be killed. It's uh, the last thing you do before you chop a tree down is go in the house, get the axe, and bring it out to the tree. He says this is an imminent situation you live in. It clearly shows the danger they're in. If they will not repent, they will very soon be destroyed. So, How did they respond? They rejected it. The Bible says in verses 29 through 30 of Luke chapter 7, and all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves. Not everybody that we give the message of the gospel to receives the message of the gospel. It's just the way it is. And and these people, the ones who should know the most about the word of God, the Pharisees, rejected the message that John had for them. So, then we, that brings us to the second group, the regular people. This group is just simply called the people, verse 10. And the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? They were the regular people, the ordinary citizen, the general public. Uh, when they coming to be baptized by John, they asked the question, what shall we do? John answers it in verse 11, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. He that hath meat, let him do likewise. Now, two things can be said about this group. Number one, they were sincere. They asked the question, what shall we do? If you'll notice, this is not a question the Pharisees asked. They aren't interested in what should we do. Uh, These people were, and so that shows a sincerity. They asked what they should do to give evidence of their repentance. They had just heard the blistering message that John gave to the Pharisees, and now, what about us, John? What do we need to do? Uh, When a man truly changes his attitude toward God, that's repentance, changing our mind, when we repent of our sins and we change our attitude toward God, it is a completely natural thing for us to then seek what he would want us to do. For example, if you'll remember in Acts chapter 9, when Paul met uh, Christ on the road to Damascus, Uh, after he realized who he was talking to, his first question, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? So it's a good thing to ask this question. It's a good thing that they asked it. But then you see what their problem was. They were selfish. Uh, The besetting sin of this group was selfishness. It's evident in John's instruction to them that they were ignoring the needs of those around them. They seemed to be capable of taking care of those needs, but they ignored them. John inferred with his command that they let the cold stay cold. They let the hungry stay hungry. And this is not uncommon. Mankind, humankind, is basically selfish. Uh, This is typical of the general public even still today. John wanted to change their thinking. We could all use an upgrade in this department. Uh, that having more compassion on those around us. And yet, he, you'll notice that John did not come down on them like he did on the Pharisees and on the Sadducees there. He, he, was, uh, he answered their question and told them what they needed to do. Uh, they were not hypocrites. I, they were sincere, and they wanted to change their way, it seems, by the fact of their question. Look at the third group, the revenue collectors, the much-hated tax collectors of the day came to John seeking baptism. Now, Luke uh, chapter 3, that uh, we read earlier here, verse 12, Then came also publicans to be baptized, and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Accept exact no more than what, that which is appointed you. Now, everyone knew what tax collectors did. It's just that they could do nothing about it. Tax collectors were empowered by the Roman Empire they were employees of the Romans. The Romans would hire these tax collectors to collect a certain amount of tax per capita in the area they were responsible for. And so if I was over 100 people, I would have to get so much tax out of them to turn into the Roman government. But it was perfectly acceptable to the Roman government, and uh, they, they would not care if I charged more than what they needed. It did not matter to them at all as long as they got what they Uh, exacted out of me. So if you, by Roman standards, would owe $50, and I told you you owed $75, then I could pocket that $25. The Romans didn't care. The people couldn't do anything about it because I was empowered by the Romans. And so therefore, can you imagine along with me why the tax collectors were a very hated group of people? Well, they were cheaters. We see that in the story of Zacchaeus. Uh, He had cheated many people. So when they came to John, and they heard about this repentance. And they asked, what would repentance look like in my life? John, being John, hits it right, uh, right in the front. He doesn't mince words. He told them plainly what to do. If they were going to be repentant, if they were going to do right in their life, if they were going to change their mind about their sin, they needed to be honest. They needed to not overcharge people on their taxes. If a dishonest man wants others to believe he is converted, he's going to be honest. If a liar wants others to believe that he has been converted, he'll stop lying. If a thief wants others to believe that he was converted, he'll have to stop stealing. Matthew 7.20, the Bible says, By their fruits ye shall know them. Now we know that this will not save anyone, but that's not the issue here. The issue is that of giving outward proof of a character change. Remember, John's baptism was one unto repentance. So, is our testimony important? Absolutely, our testimony is very, very important. Now, look at the fourth group and the final group we'll look at tonight, the Roman soldiers. (laughs) This is a surprise. In fact, I read this, and I've read it before, but I never really even thought about the fact that here's a group of Roman soldiers watching this. They're not even Jews. They don't believe in God, or the, the God. They had their own gods they believed in, but they don't believe in the one true God. Uh, they don't have a Bible. They don't believe the Bible. They haven't read the scriptures. They're, there's no spiritual interest, but yet here are the Roman soldiers, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit has reached into their heart, and uh, they are actually interested in repentance. Now, military men are not generally known for much interest in religion, especially not Roman soldiers who were godless in their society and in their actions. But John's message had convicted them, and they responded. Look at verse 14. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, and what shall we do? I, I wonder how much of a surprise this was to the people that were listening. Are you serious? There are soldiers asking John what they need to do uh, in repentance. John, of course, was very scared of the soldiers, and so, no, John wasn't scared of the soldiers. He gave it to them straight ahead, just like uh, he gave it to everyone else. I love the straight preaching of John the Baptist. Uh, he, gave, he talked to them in, <clears throat> in three areas of known and common violations of the Roman soldier. Their savage treatment of others, their slanderous accusations, and their salary discontentment. Now, these were problems for them. This does not mean that they are exclusive to them. Uh, You do not have to be a soldier to have the problems that these soldiers had. I would say that these are common problems even in many of our lives today. Look at, first of all, their violence. Violence would be, let's look at what he said, by the way, so we understand where we're coming from him here. here. Verse 14, the middle of the verse, and he said unto them, do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. Now, violence would be particularly easy for a soldier. A soldier is, they especially were in the enforcing business. And a soldier, uh, the, the baser nature of man enjoys abusing others. I mean, we've, we probably all know people that actually get pleasure out of being cruel and spiteful and mean to other people. Uh, given the opportunity and the authority to do so, it happens all too often. It doesn't take much to imagine what these Roman soldiers would have been capable of uh, enforcing the law in the land of Israel. Now, this term, "do violence, means literally, the original word means literally to shake violently. We're talking about rough treatment of others. John says that if you repent, Mr. Soldier, if you repent and get right with God, you'll no longer do these things in your life. Compassion is a mark of repentance. It is evidence of walking with God. Cruelty is just the opposite. Let me ask you, dear friend, how is your compassion in your life? Do you have compassion on those around you? Even as Christians, uh, we can go through life and not have compassion. Oh, we might not shake people violently. We might not do violence to people. But as a Christian, do we have the compassion that we need to have on those around us? Let me tell you, one mark of repentance, one mark of a child of God, one mark of us wanting to do what God wants in our life, one mark is going to be compassion. Secondly, there's slander, false accusation is what he refers to here specifically. Now, he's probably talking about taking bribes. A soldier's statements carried a lot of weight in trials in that day. Their accusations would be devastating. A false accusation could ruin the life of a person, especially a wealthy person. But if that wealthy person would grease the skids, so to say, would throw a little money his way, then, they, then the accusation could go away. It was a cruel way to extort people. Now, if you want to say, oh, I don't know if that ever happened, it talks about it in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, there they were given a bribe uh, by the religious leaders to agree with them that the body of Jesus had been stolen by the grave, uh, from the grave by the disciples. You remember the Jesus after he rose from the dead. Uh, they, they came to the soldiers, and the Bible says they paid them uh, much money. Uh, actually, it says they gave large money unto the soldiers, or a, a lot of money. Verse 12 of Matthew chapter 28. The soldiers in verse 15 took the money. Uh, they were able to be bribed into spreading a lie about what happened to the body of Jesus. Oh, there was much corruption in those days. I'm glad none of that goes on in our government today. Uh, I believe that we all know better than that. But we, we need to, as Christians, as people who have repented of our sin, we ought to be known for our honesty, for our integrity, and we ought to not make false accusation. We ought to not be uh, guilty of gossip, of talking about people behind their back. If a person is guilty of this behavior and repents, he will forsake this type of sin. That's what John is saying here. So he talks of their violence. He talks of their slander and then of their salary. These people had problems with their wages. It was and, of course, it is not uncommon for a soldier to complain about his salary. But this is, again, not limited to just military personnel. How many people today complain about their wages? About what they make or what they don't make, people go on strike, people join unions, uh, people quit and move on uh, to somewhere else. Now, I'm not saying at all that there's there's a, it's it's a anti-biblical or against God's will for us to better ourselves. Not saying that at all. But here uh, there we ought to be content with what God gives us and allows us to have. Now, be content with your wages would step on a lot of toes because this is a very universal complaint today even professional athletes my heart bled and i shed a tear for giants receiver odell beckham who thought his 10.4 million dollar contract was a little slim the huffington post asked what he would change about the nfl and he said i think that we should make more money personally now this contentment i know that this i know you're hurt wherever you are right now at the thought of him having to scrape by on 10.4 million. But this discontentment is common. Uh, it reeks of materialism. And listen, a poor person can be discontent just like a rich person can be discontent. It does not have anything to do with how much we have. It is what we feel that we ought to have. And so do not be discontent. If you are saved, if you are have repented of your sin, if you are a child of God uh, and constantly complain About what you do not have, that indicates a spiritual problem in your life. John demands evidence to prove repentance, and here he says to them that one of the ways you'll show your repentance in your life is to be content. Will be content. Paul, it took years, but Paul he said uh, in his ministry, he said, "I have learned whatsoever state I am, wherewith to be content." Now, I like that wording because that is oh so true. It is something we have to learn. Contentment is not natural. Those that work in our nursery uh, ministry, is not nobody here doing that tonight, but uh, under normal circumstances, we have people in the nursery. Uh, you know that one-year-old and two-year-old and three-year-old children are not naturally content. They are after more. They want to get to what the other person has, and that continues through life. If we are going to be content, if we're going to uh, be, be content with what God gives us, it's going to be a learned trait. So all of this begs a question, and uh, that, that as I was reading through this and John's giving different evidences for different people, all of this begs the question then, do you, dear Christian, have the evidence that you're God's child? Do you have the evidence of repentance? In your life, John looks at the publicans and the sinners, and he says this will show evidence of repentance in your life. He looks at the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he says this will show the repentance in your life. He even tells the soldiers, this will show the repentance in your life. And then the rotten, hated tax collectors, this will show repentance in your life. I wonder, friend, uh, what do you do to show repentance in your life? If you went to court for being a Christian, Would there be enough evidence to convict you? In fact, if only your neighbors and your co-workers were brought in as witnesses at your trial of being a Christian, what would be said? This is what John was stressing. If you're going to be a repentant Christian, if you're going to be a child of God, there's going to be some fruit, or there ought to be some fruit, that'll show that you're that child of God. What fruit of repentance do you have in your life tonight? What can you hold out as evident. Listen, and, and by the way, we know and goes without saying, our works don't save us. Uh, that What we do is not going to take us to heaven, but if we're a child of God, we ought to live like it. Wouldn't you agree along with me? I expect my children, when we go someplace or we visit somebody's home, I always expected my children to act the way that I would want them to act to represent my name. There is nothing Wrong with anybody expecting that a Christian ought to live like a Christian. And that's what John's saying here. Fruits of repentance. And we're going to close there tonight because next week we're going to go into the baptism of Jesus Christ. And and there's some interesting to be around you, to recognize, you know, they're not like everyone else. There's something different about them. They must be a Christian. It ought not be a mystery. It ought not be a surprise to people when they hear. That you're a child of God. Why? Because real repentance produces fruit. That's the whole point of John and his message to these people.